Sunday's reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 to 12. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it, it has now revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to our, our virtual service on uh, Sunday, the 20-something of, of April. Um, I hope you're all well, uh, and uh, it was really nice to see people on our coffee morning last Wednesday, and look forward to seeing people if you're joining us for coffee after this uh, virtual time together today. Uh, also, just to let you know that tonight uh, we'll be uh, continuing the season of Isaiah, uh, and Mike Wilson will be uh, giving a short uh, talk and then we'll follow that with an online discussion um, about Isaiah um, about 6.30 tonight. So please do sign up for those things. They've, they've all been in the daily update and we should be able to circulate that information. Um, just a couple of things. I, I hope you're uh, staying well. I uh, really enjoyed um, uh, being able to sort of chat with a few people this week and do, do keep in touch with one another. Um, because it's, it's, it's particularly important at the moment that we all know through praying friends the different things that are going on. So I was really encouraged uh, to be thinking about these letters, uh, this second letter of Paul to Timothy, um, and, and how helpful it is. And I want to say thank you to uh, David for preaching it last week and uh, opening it up so nicely for us. Uh, and I just wanted to follow on with that really um, and see where we go. So uh, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word together, to, to find things there that are going to be helpful and um, for us, for our, for our formation in, as your people, uh, for your creation as your church, as, your, as the calling you've given us. Amen. So uh, last week, uh, Paul was in, uh, last week, uh, we finished with this line, for God didn't give us a spirit of uh, timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. Um, and I think that's really helpful, and it will come in uh, a little bit later on. But I just want to expand a little bit that, that Paul had uh, been put into prison, was now encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed to testify about Jesus Christ or ashamed to know Paul. I don't really spend a lot of time on the Internet, and certainly uh, the only things I watch on YouTube tend to be um, archery videos. Um, but I do get caught up occasionally in, in those sort of online debates, uh, particularly I do like John Lennox. 
Uh, and it's interesting to sort of read some of the um, little comments underneath and um, about, well, you know, what is what is God doing and how could he let all this sort of stuff happen? And uh, I thought, you know, those sorts of comments, which uh, sort of have been running around for ages, really, the sort of re reworkings of the arguments about suffering, which uh, are really helpful. And I have put a link in the daily update from Friday if you want to have a look at that. And John Lennox gives a really good reasoned account but it's interesting, there's still some kind of stigma uh, associated with identifying as a Christian, uh, that somehow it's seen to be an intellectually weak or philosophically weak argument. And, um, and we sometimes we experience that. And it's, it's the sort of thing that uh, Timothy's experiencing, too. And also Paul is as well. He's considered shameful to be imprisoned. I mean, we know that. And that's just a social uh, that's a social thing as well, isn't it? Uh, to, to be associated with somebody who, who is or has been in prison. People might think less of him. And I think that's quite um, that's quite compelling, actually, isn't it? Because it does put us on the back. It does make us feel a little on the back foot that somehow our God might not be able to do stuff as we um, as we'd hoped. I mean, we come to it a bit later. But you think about Paul's life with God. How did it end up here? I mean, he was he was called to be a herald, an apostle, a teacher, and it's kind of ended in quite an un, you know uncomfortable way. Really, it's quite um, quite important. Not, but that's the way we look at it. Paul doesn't see it like that. He doesn't think about it being ashamed. He's not ashamed uh, to be there. He's in, he's rejoicing in it. That's the amazing thing about Paul. So that's uh, what we want to dig into here. Nevertheless, we live in a time where people would find that kind of strange. That if we were holding on to these Christian views that um, God, will, you know, that God is doing something in spite of how it appears, uh, some people sort of might smir you know, smirk at that, or you know, just sort of consider yourself to be a little bit less uh, switched on than we really are. Uh, and that's important, and we need to address that, don't we? Um, so let's have a look. So we, Paul writes about how he doesn't want people to feel embarrassed uh, about that. He doesn't want people to be embarrassed about him being in prison, that this was God's will. And that it's not a, it's not embarrassing to know uh, Jesus Christ. It's not embarrassing to put your hope in Jesus Christ. It's not embarrassed to talk about him and pray to him uh, and ask him uh, to be involved in your life, however it looks. In terms of today's you know, scenario or situation, theologically, I've tried to look at this uh, from the point of view of the Siloam Tower uh, collapse in Luke chapter 13, where where it doesn't, you know, where Jesus, in the response to a moral evil question, gives a morally neutral scenario just to remind us, uh, just to remind the listeners that we are we are mortal creatures. We are we are mortal creatures and we have. Uh, we will have to uh, meet with, uh, confront our mortality and meet with God. Uh, and so that's really important to hold on to that. And as a society, um, we've never, we haven't had to really confront such a situation since World War II. Uh, and I think it's natural for people to blame God and throw their sort of throw their hopes into other into other things. And that's uh, that's in, you know that's entirely normal. I think I think given how far we drifted. Uh, since the beginning of the 20th century but that's not who we are we're, we're not to be like that are we we're to listen to these words of an experienced Christian talking about how to endure and persevere through suffering for knowing Christ so let's have a look Paul is constrained he's he's not under house arrest but he's certainly uh, in chains 
Uh, so he hasn't got some of the freedoms that he has. And those freedoms included, uh, you know, to be the herald of the gospel, that people would would want to know what he's got to say. He's the apostle. He's used to directing and, and, and encouraging people to do new things, that, that apostolic gift of seeing what God might do and, and transform it around it. And then to teach, you know, the time he spent uh, in the halls of Tyrannus, uh, it just uh, ex with the hope that his the good news would spread from what he'd done, uh, what he was doing there, all really powerful things, all really important things that he was able to do and gifted to do, and now they've gone. Now they've gone. He can't do those anymore. Um, and, and I think, like any, like a lot of us, he would have felt quite lost. He would have felt, well, you know, I'm used to doing this, and now I can't do it. I, you know, people I expected to be able to do this, and 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 now they're not there. Those chances aren't there. And we're sort of in the flip side of that, if you like. There are things that we're used to being able to do that we can't do. And there are things that we now have to do, uh, which we're not necessarily used to. I think there's an interesting thing here. That the underlying question in this in this little passage is about doing and being, isn't it? That, that Paul roots, uh, reverses back to who he is uh, because he's no longer to, able to do the things that were the expression of that. And I think that's really healthy. Who are we and what has God done uh, to make that happen? So I wonder if we've got those sorts of things going on in our life, things that we uh, were able to do that used to help us, whether it was in church or in work, and that helped define who we were, and things which we were be able to say, no, I, I can't do that anymore. I have to rethink some of these things, things that were frustrating and now uh, are finding difficult to do. So I wonder uh, perhaps if there's been a lot of that going on. Paul's in the place where he's got no choice and, and so are we. Um, and he must have been finding that really, really awkward. Um, but it's also important to bear in mind how he deals with it. And I think that's really encouraging. Paul focuses on the big picture, doesn't he? Um, he's, he talks about, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy life. There we are. That's what that's the big picture. God has called us into a holy life, a life set aside for him to be uh, the people he called them to be. It's a bit like that um, situation in Job, isn't it, where he's got his friends clamouring around for all sorts of explanations about why God might be allowing this to happen. It's not an unfamiliar theme, is it? Um, uh, but Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Whatever else is going on, I know that my Redeemer, there's a hope in the future. I know he's there somewhere. I know he's, he's, there's, an, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so Paul refers back to this, doesn't he? The revelation of Jesus Christ as, as the grace of God made real in his life. And then he sort of in verse uh, nine and ten, he talks about how Jesus has destroyed death, that he came uh, to, to conquer death. Paul is this is really important. Paul is facing death in a way that the ancient world was very, very used to it, in a, in a way that we are not used to it. We, we have all sorts of reasons and ways in which we put that off. Um, but Paul is facing death. And so he's reframing his his situation. He's reframing uh, what he thought he was going to be able to do, and now he's changing it. Remember, in Acts uh, chapter nine, I think it is um, Paul is Paul is declared to be God's instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles and their kings, and and so you know that's who Paul was and is, uh, and that's what he's sort of been living with, 
and he's and, and it's the summary of, of who he is but it's got him to this place not quite perhaps where we were hoping uh, he would end up but Paul isn't afraid and, and he sees the big picture uh, as more important in fact that's probably been his way of being uh, throughout his life hasn't he in in another letter to in two, the second letter to the church at Corinth uh, he summarized his life with God like this I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently being flogged more severely and have been exposed to death again and again five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was pelted with stones three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open sea I've been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits in danger from my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul's life with God is, is one that sort of really sort of took you to the extremes. If you saw Paul on the bus, you'd get off. Uh, most of us would, I think, because we just wouldn't want, we just don't know where he would take us. And yet Paul has this, this, this long story with God. You know, the, 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 the road to Damascus probably happened within 18 months of the actual resurrection. And, and he'd been walking with Jesus since then. We're nearly, we're 30 years and more on from that point now. And, um, you know, Jesus and Paul have got history together. They've got companionship. They've got experience together. They've done a bit of life and, and quite an extreme life together. And so Paul draws on that. And I think that's really important. So how... Can we live that kind of life? How can we live the sort of life that can handle these sorts of scenarios and worse? Well, Paul, as I hinted earlier, verses seven and eight uses the words the power of God. He uses the word dynamis, which refers to the miraculous power of God. So it's not born of our strength or our conviction, which can be powerful, but it's actually a power from God. It's the power of God from God. It's like Jesus's prayer at the end of John, isn't it? That, uh, John 15 where he talks about how we would be one with God as he was with one and they were one together. And that sense of just being united in God and experiencing his power. The change, that sort of change, is the change that can overcome trials and despair and actually bring joy and worship instead to sort of see that God is wonderful through that. When Paul's listing uh, these all these things, he's not a complainer. He just talks about how these weaknesses allowed God to be more full, uh, fuller in his life. So the power of God is something that uh, is important in our daily life. It's something that's so limitless it can overcome. It can overcome how we feel about things. It can come overcome our doubts about things as well. And it transforms us. And it changes us from being people who were once people of darkness to being people who now live in light, who we may tire and flag and struggle, but the power of God is limitless. If we spend time in it uh, with him every day, we can experience and know that power of life within us. And then Paul talks about how his relationship with God was really important to him. And towards the end of the passage that we've got today, I know 
whom I have believed. As I've already said, you know, Paul met uh, Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus years and years ago. And yet it had changed who he was. He encountered the risen Jesus and that had become the defining moment in his life. It's a little bit like the story with Abraham when God met with Abraham and promised him these things. It, it defined who he was. And I think we need to remember those moments in our life that at some point we, we met the risen Jesus. We had an encounter where we knew, we realised that it was true. That it, 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 that it was going to, that life and therefore after life would never be the same again that we'd stepped out of darkness and into light. And I think that's really important to remember that we've moved into this relationship with God. We've met him and we know him and he knows us. And I think that's really important that God isn't looking for loads of clones. He's looking for people who will be his people, uh, each of us, our identity, who we really are. The person that God imagined us to be, well, we're all going to be with him. That's his goal. That's what he wants to happen. And because of God's nature like that, because God's prayer is that we would know him and that we would be transformed into his likeness and that we would be his people, holy, set aside for him, set to be his people when he returns, we, we, we can entrust ourselves to him. And when we entrust ourselves to him, we, we give our hopes, we give our life. We talk about giving our life to Jesus and we hand it over to him and we ask him to hold on to it. We ask him to look after it. We ask him to protect it and guard it. And we do so in the faith that when Jesus said nobody can snatch them from my hand, he meant it. And that he has the power to do that. And the crucifixion and the resurrection were the proof, proof positive of that. But we're still able to say, God, would you look after me? God, I'm, I'm giving everything I've got. I've, I've put it at your feet. I'm, I'm asking you to look after me. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it at the moment. And I think those are really important things that Paul was able to say, I know the God who... I met, I met, I beheld on the road to Damascus, who was faithfully being with me through all of these trials and things. I know that I can trust him with who I am, my life, and I'm going to give him my life so that, um, because he can guard it, he will look after it, and one day he will raise it up and he will restore it uh, to what it will fully be. And so we have a real uh, encouragement there for hope rather than shame about holding on to these ancient beliefs. We, we actually have hope, which the world is in short supply of at the moment. It all seems doom and disaster. But actually what we've seen is that in this, these moments of isolation, in these moments where we can't see very far ahead at all, the big picture is the one that we should be, is, is the picture that God was revealing. He was revealing it through Paul and he's uh, held on to it and he's written it down for us as an encouragement uh, today. So three things, the big picture, hold on to the big picture that Christ came into the world to save you and make you his people, that he knows you, 
you can know him and he knows you and that when you've given your life to him he's safe he's trust he's trustworthy and he alone can keep it for you so stay safe look after one another look after yourselves and look forward to speaking soon god bless good morning I'm drawn to verse 9 from today's reading. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Let us pray. Let us not forget that Jesus has saved us. We especially ponder on this during Eastertide. And now through our salvation, we are called to a holy life. Set us apart for your works. And at this time when we probably feel very set apart, unite us as a church, as parts of one body, to worship you today. During this time of isolation, may we usefully use our time to draw closer to you Help us to see and use opportunities to be in your presence, to study your word and to bring before you the needs of our church and community. We pray today for our families, for your protection on Christian marriage, that the confines of isolation would bring out any neglected skills in communication, openness and holy intimacy and for those isolated on their own that you would be their companion and friend that their physical spiritual and emotional needs would be met by you and through your promptings from those around we pray today for our local national and international leaders that their actions would be inspired by the honour to lead and not selfish ambition. Give their advisors wisdom and knowledge and that you would especially bless those working tirelessly to soon be able to produce a vaccine. We pray for those in the front line, for the doctors, nurses and those in the care sector that you would protect them. We pray that the right resources would be able to be supplied at the right time and that no one need take on any unnecessary risks. We thank you for those that are keeping our lives bearable, those supplying food, those keeping our water, gas and electric supplied and those collecting our refuge. We thank you for those in our church helping us to stay in touch and informed, and especially for John, Ian and Susie. Finally, we pray for those who especially need your healing touch at this time. We pray for Rosamond Burton, for John Excel, for Karen Mears, for Susie McGuinness, for June Webb, and for others known to you. Lord, provide them with your peace, comfort and healing. 
Amen. And now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Uh, just want to come to our time together in our service where we break bread and spiritually we're breaking bread together although obviously I'm not consecrating it in the church. I thought I'd start uh, with this reading from John chapter 6 uh, which is about Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus said to the Jews who had gathered around, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Before we break bread together, it's just worth bearing in mind that on hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And we know that we come to God in at times of unbelief or we, we act badly, we sin, uh, we fall away from God. We do our own thing. And so I have a short confession before uh, we turn to a time of um, sharing. The uh, response to Father forgive us is save us and help us. God our Father, we come to you in sorrow for our sins, for turning away from you and ignoring your will for our lives. Father forgive us, save us and help us. For behaving just as we wish, without thinking of you. Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For failing you by what we do and think and say. Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For letting ourselves be drawn away from you by temptations in the world about us. Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For living as if we were ashamed to belong to your Son. Father, forgive us, save us and help us. Well, may the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins, restore us in his image to the praise of glory of his name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so as we come to share the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. 
On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May he turn his face towards us and grant us peace. Amen.